Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible. I'm Evan. And I'm Aaron. And this is a podcast where we read through the Bible together every year and talk about what we learned along the way. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and look up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington. You can find our plan there. We also have that plan available on our website, grove.church. And if you are jumping in today, we are on day 71 of the reading plan. And don't forget, as you're listening along or reading along with us, we love to take time as much as we can week over week to answer those questions. Uh, So remember, there's three ways to send us those questions. One is an email. Info at grove.church is the address. Make sure to put in that subject line podcast question. Or you can DM us on social media, the Facebook. Uh, I don't know why I always say that. It's always a habit. I just say the Facebook. Facebook. Um, We are the Grove Church. Uh, Facebook, as Evan already talked about, in Marysville, Washington. Uh, Or on Instagram, you can DM us there as well. Our handle on Instagram is the Grove CH. And we we look forward to answering those questions. So uh, make sure to send them in. All right. Well, this is the final week that we are in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the law. I think those are all the names for it. Not sure I shouldn't say all. I'm you sure misspoke. This isn't the final week that we're oh, in. Oh, that's true. It's the final book. The final book, yes. We start the final book this week is what I think you were trying to say. And so. we're getting most of the way through it. Yeah, yeah. We're, I think week. we end 25 and then 26 to 85 or whatever. Next week Just is kidding. basically the epilogue and then a couple mm-hmm. a couple other things that we're wrapping up. But we are in the book of Deuteronomy and it consists of three different speeches from Moses with an epilogue at the end. Um, and you may be wondering, how do we know Moses didn't write that part? You'll see when we get there. So, uh, but this is old man Moses. Uh, he is ready to die and send off his people under the leadership of Joshua to take hold of the promised land. So these are kind of, I mean, you can think of these as the last words of Moses to his people. So really poignant. And I think it's also good to see what are what are the priorities that Moses is trying to communicate yeah. to his people at this point? Uh, so the first part of Moses' first speech, and so this is through chapter three of Deuteronomy, is uh, it gives us a historical summary of where Israel has been. So, and remember, this is a new generation. Um, not that they're like they didn't just appear out of thin air; they've been here for a lot of these things. But Moses is reminding them of what happened when they left mm-hmm. Egypt, all these different things. Most of this generation—I shouldn't say most—I think the entirety of the generation was born. I, I need to be careful saying this, I guess. They were either born after the Exodus or they were very young during the Exodus. Yeah. They were these were they, they probably do not super well remember the mm-hmm. Exodus, I guess is the way I would put it. Except Joshua and Caleb right. and Moses, obviously. But yep, absolutely. So uh, he's reminding them of just a few times just a few just a few things. Uh that time that Moses needed to have some extra lieutenants appointed in order to shoulder the burden of the last generation. So it's kind of like, hey, remember how all of your fathers were just the worst? Uh that <laughs> happened. Uh, He reminds them of that time Israel was on the cusp of going into the promised land, but chickened out. We talked about this last week. This is where they send in the spies. Mm -hmm. Only Joshua and Caleb are willing to to go for it. Everyone else is... And that's literally the the Hebrew translation, or chickened out like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, those he reminds them of those years spent wandering in the wilderness because of the rebellions. So like, hey, remember how like you guys rebelled and you wouldn't do what I told you to do, and then you spent <laughs> oh, forty right. years walking around. Like, hey, that happened. Um, it's not all negative. However, Moses reminds the people of their victories over King Sihon and King Og, and it's their first time taking possession of land. So remember, this is the the land that is given to the tribes of Reuben and Gad on the east side of the Jordan. So, and at this point, I I think, I guess it's worth reiterating at this point, Reuben, Gad, 
and East Manasseh have their land. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the tribe's land will be west of the Jordan River. And that's what we're going to read about in Joshua is those tribes taking a hold of their land. Yeah, which is coming next week. Uh, And then back to the sad, though, we get this peek inside of Moses's relationship with God. I I just thought this stood out to me as really poignant. Yeah. And so Moses says, and this is in Deuteronomy chapter 3, starting in verse 23, And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as use? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that a hill, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over the head at the head of his people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess like... It makes sense that Moses would ask, but yeah. it is it is just kind of a bummer to see Moses pleading with God and asking, like, please can I can I cross the Jordan and go into this land? And God's like, Nope, like don't and don't bring it up again. Like we what, yeah, I, right? what I said is final. Um yeah, it's ju- it's just a big bummer. And I think mo- it it also is, I guess, in some way encouraging is the wrong word. Um, but Moses is one of the like great pillars of the faith. And especially in, in Judaism, Moses is kind of like the main man <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. that's not god um and yet he fails significantly enough to to incur this kind of punishment so he's not he's not a perfect man as yeah. we see time and time again um and while he leads the people out of egypt and he leads them into the covenant of of god he does not get to lead them into the promised land. So a bit of a bummer there. Yeah. Uh, starting in chapter four, Moses reminds the people of the Yah, of the, of the Yah, the Yah of, 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 of the law from Yahweh. Uh, the previous generation has failed and Moses does not want them, want the same for this new generation. So he, it, you'll see with some of Deuteronomy that it's kind of recapping. It's like mm-hmm. saying, hey, don't forget these things. But remember the context of this. This is He's speaking to a new generation and essentially like, hey, as you're getting ready to go, like don't make the same mistake that your ancestors did. Don't, and not even ancestors. Don't make the same mistake that your parents did yep. um, because – yeah. It, it, and then we'll, we'll get to – there's a, a little bit later he talks about it. But it's just this idea that God is in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and if God's not with you – you're going to fail. The only way that this works is if you hold to the covenant that Yahweh has made with you. So, I, yeah, I just think I think it's a very good reminder. Um, and he poignantly reminds them to not let their devotion to God and his covenant die out. They, they are to teach these things to their children and their children's children. And this is also a big theme that you'll see in Deuteronomy men- mentioned multiple times, that you are to pass down the things that are said, the things that we've witnessed, and you're going to tell your children about it. You're going to build monuments or altars to these things, um, or I guess uh, in remembrance of these things is the right way to say that. Uh, Moses reminds them that idolatry is forbidden. Yahweh is the one true God, and he alone is to be worshipped. Um, that's going to come up a bunch. <laughs> no, that's the only so, time he says it. That's yeah. it. That's oh, the one time. Oh, my gosh. All throughout Deuteronomy. Oh, my goodness. I wasn't, so I wasn't even going to say – I wasn't even thinking in Deuteronomy, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It comes up a bunch. Uh, just in the Old Testament in yep. general, uh, yep. the idea of don't worship idols. Don't make things uh, with your hands and then make them gods. But you know, it's a, it's a big temptation of what mm-hmm. you're going to do. So. 
Whatever. Uh, next up, we have Moses sets up three cities of refuge in the land that Israel has taken so far. So Reuben, Gad, and East Manasseh all get a city of refuge. As a reminder, those are cities where if you commit manslaughter, so not intentional murder, um, but the family is out for revenge, you can go to the cities of refuge and yep. you can live there uh, and th- you're safe. So yep. that's the idea. Uh, Moses' second speech begins at the end of chapter 4. In this speech, Moses reminds the people of the Ten Commandments, which are kind of a summary of the whole law. Um, Obviously, there's a lot more law than those ten, but all of the rest of the law fall into – you can categorize them by those Ten Commandments, Mm -hmm. I guess is the way to say it. You can even further, if you wanted to, categorize them by the greatest commandment, which we'll read about in a little bit. But uh, yeah, well, I guess you know we'll read about it right now. So this is a famous passage we get in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all of his statutes and commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life and that your, that, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit down in the house, and when you are by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to you, with great with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is In your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you off from the face of the earth. Okay, so we get – there's a lot. Yeah, there's a ton there. (laughs) It's really – that's a really dense passage, um, but we get dense in a good way. Um, We get the greatest commandment, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We also get the famous – hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then what does Moses say? You are to remind your people of this, your children and your children's children, that you cannot forget it. Mm-hmm. And and it, you kind of get this idea. And we see we see this in, in history all the time, right? So there's the people of Israel now, they're ready to go. They're ready to go to war, and they're about to see amazing miracles. They're about to go take hold of the promised land under, under Joshua. And you, as we read through Joshua, you'll see that it's done in such a way that clearly this is the Lord giving them the land. It yeah. is not the people of Israel just being awesome conquerors and coming in. And But Moses warns them that after you've taken hold of the land, like now that you're fat and happy and you're sitting in the cities that you didn't build and drinking water out of the wells that you didn't dig, do not forget that it is the Lord who gave you those yeah. things. And, and spoilers, the people of Israel forget. What? Um, but we see it all the time, right? I think there's – I was reading about – the the early church history and one of the greatest blessings to Christianity 
is when Constantine the Emperor declared that Christianity was a was his religion, but also um, it was no longer actively being persecuted, and it allowed Christianity be, to be spread much more openly, which is amazing. Um, but that gift came with the curse, and that is that all of a sudden Christians got comfortable because it mm-hmm. wasn't Christianity was no longer a thing that you did solely because you believed, but became the fashionable religion. It became the religion of if you wanted to get anywhere, you needed to be a Christian. And so all of a sudden you have where you probably did not have that many nominal Christians before. And by nominal, I mean people who just say they're Christians, but don't live, um, don't live like they are. All of a sudden that became much more common. Mm-hmm. And you see it in different countries, right? Like in, in, in countries where there is very little religious persecution. You're going to have a lot of nominal Christians in countries where there is a ton of um, religious persecution. The people who say they're Christians are going to be straight up. That's what they are. Um, and I think that's what Moses is kind of warning out is the idea of getting comfortable with where we are. And all of a sudden you just kind of give lip service to the commands of God, but we don't actually live it. And if you want to, if you want to know one of the major themes of the prophets, that is one of the major themes of the prophets is that they give lip service. Um, and he's literally like, yeah, you go to the temple and you offer your sacrifices and then you go cheat on your wife and you cheat this guy out of his field and then you commit murder. But at least you made your sacrifice. <laughs> like, yeah. It, yeah, it's 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 going to happen a bunch. It's really sad as we, as we continue to go through the Old Testament. But I also want to make sure that we realize that this is not something that's contained to just the, the Jews of the Old Testament. Yeah, this is all of God's people of all time. Including uh, today. Yes. Uh, in chapter 7, Moses tells the Israelites that they are on a mission of utter destruction. They are not to live with the Canaanites. They are being set apart as a chosen people. Um, this is really – some people have a lot of difficulty reading this today because essentially what he's saying is like you're driving them out of the land. They don't get to stay here. They don't get to live here. You, This is your land now. Yeah. You're going to take it. Um, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but God makes clear why. These things are happening, which I think is also an important, an important thing to keep in mind. But also keep in mind that God's purpose here is not to have a subgroup of people within a greater nation that worship him. His purpose here is to have a nation that worships him the way that he wants to be worshipped, that worships him under his covenant. Mm-hmm. And in order to do in order to do that effectively, you cannot have mixed religion in this area. And so the Canaanites are to be driven out. Their cities are to be uh, destroyed and the, for the most part. Yeah. And the Israelites are to build a new nation on what used to be there, um, which I also think it's important to keep in context as well. Today, we reread that and the idea of doing that is just completely foreign to us. Although some, I guess some nations do try and do that, but especially in the modern West, we wouldn't really think today of going into a nation and just driving all of the people out and then taking the land. Yeah. Um, in the in the past West, I think that, that was much more common. And that's kind of the point I want to make is this is not an uncommon thing mm-hmm. is if you're, if you're not empire building, that is what you would do. That's what the Edomites did, right? We were, I, for, I always forget the name of the tribe of people that used to live there, but the Esau and his people went over, they lived among them for a little bit, and then the Edomites drove them out. And then they're like, oh, this is my land now. That's just kind of the way it was back then. Uh, we also get this passage in chapter seven, which I love. Starting in verse 17, it says, if you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord, so will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. 
And I think this is a really important thing because what God, God's point here is, or most, I guess Moses' point as he, as he speaks these things, is that Egypt was the greatest power that the world had ever known to this point. And I think, again, you, you cannot, it's almost impossible to exaggerate just how powerful Egypt was in the ancient world. It is without a doubt, especially in the ancient Near East, the most powerful nation. And a group of slaves made it out. And God's point is that I did that. You didn't do that. You didn't escape Egypt because of your greatness. You escaped Egypt because that's what I wanted to do. And now they, and and this is where I think it, it is poignant. The Israelites had the audacity to be afraid of petty kingdoms. And none of these kingdoms are anywhere close to the power of Egypt. Now, they're scary, and the cities are going to be hard to siege. Um, but if you compared the power of the Egyptian empire to the ancient Canaanite kingdoms, especially on an individual basis, they wouldn't be anywhere close to it. And so when when Moses is telling them, hey, when you're afraid of these Canaanites, remember the power that your parents were delivered from. And remember who did that. Mm-hmm. And, as, and again, as we get into Joshua, it's going to become increasingly clear as they go to war with these Canaanite kingdoms, who is who is the one who is doing the fighting here. Um, in chapter 8, Moses tells the people how the period in the wilderness was also to teach them. So it, it was punishment, but it was also to teach them a lesson there. Um, and Yahweh is in control. And if the people forget what they have learned, they will perish like the other nations. I wonder if that ever comes up. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if, wonder if no, wonder, not at all. That would if, never come. I wonder up. if the people of Israel forget the covenant and uh, something catastrophic happens later no, in the Old Testament. They wouldn't. I guess we'll. I guess we'll just have to see later in the year, listeners, what happens there. <laughs> uh, and then chapter nine. This is the. I was. I referenced this a little bit ago, but I think this is a really interesting theme that it explores. So this is Deuteronomy chapter nine, starting in verse four. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me into possession of this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. I love that that line. Uh, Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Um, And so again, it's this really important point, and this I think it's 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 setting the groundwork for the gospel as well, right? Because mm-hmm. we, as Christians, we are not saved because of what we've done, and we we should never look at our salvation and think my righteousness has earned my salvation. No, God's God has given us our salvation. In this instance here, what, what's God saying? He's saying the Canaanites are exceptionally wicked. The things they do are evil. And it's just as much about I want them out of the land as much as it is I want to keep the promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and giving them this land. Both things are true. And the people of Israel have not earned this land. <laughs> like As we read through 
Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, it should be abundantly clear to all of us that the people of Israel have not earned this chance. It's it's essentially, I mean, and God let the whole first generation die off, and this generation is going to do really well. Uh, they make a couple mistakes, but they do overall. I mean, especially if you're grading on a curve, A plus. <laughs> this generation of Israelites way man, to go. Man, that curve is always a game changer. Oh man, um, but. At the same time, God is making it clear that this is a grace that I am giving you. This is a gift that I'm giving you. This mm-hmm. is not something that you earned. Yeah. So, I, and I think it's important for us to even keep that in mind. Um, and if that wasn't reminder enough, Yahweh brings up a certain golden calf incident <laughs> a little bit later, which I'm, st- I'm sure was still a sore spot. So like, hey, remember that time that I brought in 10 plagues and then the Pharaoh, the mo- the ruler of the most mighty kingdom on the earth, let you go. And then when he came to try and kill you, I parted the Red Sea and then crushed all of the Egyptians under it after you escaped. And then you made a golden calf and worshiped it and said, that's the thing that delivered you out of Egypt. Let's not do that again, Israel. Okay. That's kind of, and again, I'm, I'm being kind of flippant with the way I'm saying it there, but it is clearly, um, that was abhorrent to God. And he, he brings it up many times because I think of all the things that the people of Israel did, and they did they did a lot in the wilderness, that was the most wicked, especially considering the time that had – or the lack thereof of mm-hmm. time that had passed between seeing the greatest miracles that had been seen up until that point, but at least by the people of Israel, and then immediately following up that up with making an idol. Yeah. And, then to, and it, it even not even just making an idol and being like this is this is Phil God of whatever which is st- <laughs> which is which is still bad. Um, they make an idol and then have the audacity to say this is what delivered us out of the land of Egypt. So I, uh, it's a sore spot for God, rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> right. Rightfully so. Um, after these reminders of God's faithfulness in the midst of the people's rebellion, Moses reminds them to not be stubborn and to obey the commands of God. So again, keep with the covenant. Don't make the mistakes that your fathers made. Um, and then chapter 11 is another exhortation to love and serve Yahweh. And it ends with this, which I thought was a great way to, to kind of wrap up the first part of our discussion here on Deuteronomy. Um, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. And they are, and they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, Toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgal and beside the oak of Moreh. For you are to cross the Jordan and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. So in other words, do not break covenant. Mm -hmm. This law is a gift. I love the way David says it. On on your law, I meditate day and night. It's 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 we 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 have this thing with the law, and I, and I get I get why we're here. As Christians, we look upon the law really negatively, um, because we know we couldn't measure up to it. Yeah. And Christ fulfilled it, and and now we're not bound to the law. But at the same time, we need to realize what a gift the law was, mm-hmm. that, that Yahweh is taking this people, this group of nomadic tribesmen, and he's saying, you are my people. I am giving you unprecedented favor among all of the nations of the world, and this is how you are to worship me. 
Um, and it's a it's a real I guess spoilers, but it's a real bummer that <laughs> that's not the way that it goes for Israel. But we won't get to the sad parts for a while because we'll get to Joshua. And Joshua is pretty much it's mostly positive. It's yeah. mostly good things that happen. Conquest. Yeah. And then we'll get to and then we'll get to judges and, and it just kind of all goes downhill from there. Uh, <laughs> well, before we move on to our second uh, part of discussion for Deuteronomy today, uh, we do want to take a second to remind you to, hey, you know, leave us a five-star review if you haven't had a chance yet. So, uh, specifically on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, that helps out a ton. And on Apple Podcasts, you can even leave a written review. And if yeah. you read, if you leave a written review, we will read it on the podcast. Just because you know that's the kind of guys we are. We wanna we wanna shout out our listeners. So yeah, you give us a shout out, we give you a shout out. Exactly. That's how we want to do it. So uh, yeah, so feel free to uh, jump on and do that. Even if you need to push pause real quick, so you can do that, that'd be great. Um, but we're gonna continue. We go all the way through chapter twenty five this week of Deuteronomy. Uh, and then, I'm just gonna be honest with you. There is a ton that it, that Moses hits. Uh, reminds the people. And so some of it's recap, some of it's uh, diving into clarity to, to provide more clarity to things. Um, and so we see in chapter 12, uh, it picks up uh, where Moses is reminding God's people about the proper place for worship, but there's not like a specific location yet because that's that place will be determined later after the conquest, after the, after the conquest of the promised land and peace is among God's people. He then, as we know, for many of us who have maybe read the Bible or been engaged with the Bible for a long time, is we understand that that's where the temple comes into play and that's where uh, God establishes his place. So everybody, so Moses is reminding God's people at, that when you become inheriting the land, when you live in the land, there there will be a place for proper worship. Uh, and he contrasts that because he's like, you're not supposed to worship like the pagans because the pagans, they set up Asherah poles, they set up altars and the like, uh, and they worship their gods that way. And God is, again, it's a reminder, even as Evan said, like it, God is separating his people. God is, has chosen the Israelite people, which mind you, they were probably the, they were the smallest people group. They were the weak, the low, like the lowest among the tribes of all the people that inhabited the, the modern day earth in that time. That's who God had chosen. And so that's, that in and of itself is a significant call um, where he uses, I mean, we see in scripture, he uses the the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He uses those different layers to it. So, well, I think it like, it, it just even shows in the, the beliefs of the ancient Near East, right? Like the Assyrians believe, I, th- I think, the, well, I forgot what their God's name. It's Asher maybe. But anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, but they believed that their God had chosen them to conquer the world, and mm-hmm. they were already a powerful nation. They were already yeah, they built up this massive city, um, and they're ready to, to to go forward in that. And that's the way that it made sense, right? Like yeah. God would choose to, to and it, it makes sense even to us today. If like you kind of like take, if you can try and forget the Bible for a second, it would make sense that God would pick like, oh, the Egyptians, those guys are killing the strong ones. Yeah. yeah, those guys are killing it. He's gonna stack his team. Yeah, he picks he picks a tribe of nomadic sheep herders yep. living in slavery in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And he's like, these are my people. And I, I guess he picks them before that, right? It's under Abraham. Yep. But even then he picks a guy who's just- Who's not, who's not a powerhouse. He is, he is, he's no, just like, a guy. And and, and who, who doesn't even have the prospect of having children and continuing yep. on the generation. Uh, yeah. God continuously picks the weak to shame yeah, the strong. Because Sarah, his wife was barren. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, he, 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 yeah. So he's establishing his people and he's, he's explaining to him, you are set apart. I am your God. And he's reminding them and reinforcing them through Moses, the covenant, keep the covenant, the way that you adhere and you, the way that you're given all that I'm promising you is by staying in covenant with me. Um, So so Moses in chapter 12 is telling him, don't worship like the pagans. There will be a place where you get to worship. Right now there's a tabernacle that will go with you, but right, but but there will be a point where you go and worship properly uh, later on. Um, 
And God expects to be worshiped in the right way, in the way that he demands. And so they must continue to do so. Um, there's also, this was interesting to me too, because uh, it reminds me of a question that came up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but there's also a section here that talks about eating the animals, eating the meat of the animals they have. And there was a couple a question a couple of weeks ago. It was like, well, why didn't they eat meat? They complained about not having meat. God brought quail. Why didn't they eat? And so we kind of discussed that at the end of a podcast. Um, but this is where God actually, through Moses, sets up the conversation where you're able to now, like, you can eat some of the meat. You can kill some of the animals as long as they're not to be, as long as it's outside, the way that it says, like, to eat profanely. That they're able to eat the animals as long as they're not set apart for a sacrifice of the festivals that they're called to celebrate. Oh, sure. And and so the they're able to eat the meat in their city gates, in their homes. Um, and and so as I was reading through it, as I was kind of reflecting on this a little bit, um, it, to me, the part of the tension of the wilderness journey was um, the animals that they took with them were meant to be sacrificed. They were meant to be sacred to the Lord for sacrifices as they were throughout the wilderness. Um, and so now God is providing allowance for them to eat the meat of the animals that they have. But also he, he gives later on even examples in uh, the, the command about setting the firstborn male of the livestock and the herds and all that stuff aside as well. But he takes a moment and, and speaks through Moses to communicate, you can eat the meat. Um, chapter 13 shows an interesting moment about false prophets. And so it says this in verses one through five, it says of a prophet or someone who has dreams arises among you and proclaims a sign or wonder to you. And that sign or wonder he has promised you comes about, but he says, let us follow other gods, which you have not known and let us worship them. Do not listen to that prophet's words or that or to that dreamer. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, which is reflective of Deuteronomy 6, which Evan already talked about. Uh, He says in verse 4, you must follow the Lord your God and fear him. You must keep his commands and listen to him. You must worship him and remain faithful to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he has urged rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery. So turn uh, so, t- or to turn away, to turn you away from the Lord your, your God has commanded you to walk. You must purge that evil from among you. We will have moments throughout Deuteronomy and where God is commanding uh, the evil to be purged, where God is saying, "Don't let these things." Which again, remember what Evan already said: like it, God is setting His people up to be without compromise. You can't have holiness when there's a compromise in the people and the integrity of the relationship with God. So God is establishing a people for him. So he's commanding evil to be purged from among them. Uh, and so there's this moment where he, he talks about a false prophet that rises up among them. So it's, it's reflective of, uh, of an Israelite person who drink, comes up with a prophet or word. And it's interesting because he also has the signs and wonders are performed. They, what he says and predicts will happen, happens. Uh, but God says, if he tells you to follow and worship other gods, expel them kill him, get rid of him because he's not true and faithful. And so it was interesting to see that God uses a false prophet that from among the Israelite people, sometimes to test the faithfulness of God's people. Right. And that's that's the d- indicator. Because sometimes I think we focus on the action or does what is said fulfilled? Oh, it is fulfilled. They said that this was going to happen on this day at this time and it did happen. So he must be reliable. But if he tells you to follow other gods, that's what he's getting at. It's the faithfulness to the Lord that is 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 confirmation of the call. I just imagine, I mean, Balaam's gone at this point, but I also imagine mm-hmm. like, hey, if there's a, if there happens to be a prophet who arises, um, who does some cool things, but then he tells you to worship other gods, kill him, and there's kind of looking side-eye at Balaam. <laughs> yeah, right. Huh? Yeah, buddy? <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's how I always imagine it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, so it's, it's, it's really interesting to see that God uses, sometimes allows false prophets to rise up 
that they what they say or predict actually comes to pass, but yet they're leading astray. That's where the validation of a prophet is their faithfulness to God, not the signs and wonders performed. I thought was really good and interesting to say. Moses condemns idolatry, which is nothing new. He continues to condemn it all throughout the Old Testament, even New Testament. We see the condemnation of idolatry, um, and he he tells. He tells the, the Israelite people that if someone who's loved or a close family friend or a close family member entices you to worship idols, you got to kill them off again, because it's about establishing a people. Um, chapter 14 deals with the appropriate and forbidden practices uh, like shaving one's head, like the Canaanites, when it comes to grieving uh, the dead or reflecting on the dead. Um, he talks about don't eating, not eating unclean foods, but what clean foods you can eat. This echoes Leviticus, where we see the establishment of what's property, what's not property. Eat. Um, he also talks about uh, the people uh, and the annual tithe that's required, which is a tenth of all their produce. Um, and I, and I, I remember it was it's fitting to remember that this is not something that originated in the Mosaic law. It's actually was adopted because when you see Abraham and Melchizedek, Abraham, before the law was ever established, offered a tenth, uh, a tithe to Melchizedek based upon uh, Melchizedek as a high priest or a priest in that, in that time. Uh, and so it's just Moses, again, I mean, you're going to find these quick hits, um, smaller paragraphs, larger paragraphs, but are, are really detailing Moses's direction to God's people as he's kind of wrapping everything up. Because again, it is a new nation. Uh, it is a new generation of the nation who would not have totally been familiar with all of the things that were set in place. Chapter 15 reiterates the year of Jubilee uh, and canceling of the debts. Um, and then I love I love this, this promise in chapter 15. It says this in verse four to six. It says, there will be no poor among you, however, because the Lord is certain to bless you in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. If only you obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow every one of these commands I'm giving you today. When the Lord your God blesses you as he has promised you, you will lend to many nations, but not borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule you. And again, thinking and reflecting on the fact that this is a group of people that are not large in stature, but they're set apart by God. They're chosen by God. That the simple truth that there will be no poor among you, as you adhere to the promises of God, that there is blessing in that obedience and that covenant relationship. It's just such a beautiful promise. Uh, and I do think we got to be careful because as Christians, sometimes we take this Old Testament promise out of the Old Testament and apply it to, to us today. God is setting his own people up. And so there's inspiration that we can draw from this passage, but it doesn't necessarily apply to us directly. Like there's going to be no poor among us. There's poor among us. And so we've got to be very careful with it as, as to uh, adopt a promise that was intended for God's people. Uh, because in this moment, it's pretty brilliant and pretty beautiful about how God's providing for his people. Uh, so I just love that for God's people in chapter 15. Well, I also think it, it it can point forward, not that this is necessarily the intention of the passage, but even the idea of there being no poor among you. Like we know Jesus says, you'll always have the poor among you. Like that's just the way it's going right? to be. Um, but it is true that in a, in a, in a world where everyone is following the, as everyone is following the commands of God, that there will be no poor mm -hmm. among us. That's just on the other side of eternity. That's, yeah. that's new heaven, new earth. But it, is, but it is, there will be a, a sort of fulfillment of that. Yeah. And, 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 to, be, and to be honest again, like, not again, but to be honest, we see in Matthew even where Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, the idea of like the sparrow not worrying about what they're going to eat, where they're going to live, how they're like, they're not worried about those things because God cares and provides for them. And Jesus even says point blank, are you not worth more than the sparrow and the birds of the air? And so there is this, this promise of provision based upon relationship and obedience to God and, and to God's ways and God's law. So there is the promise of provision there. Um, 
And we see, I mean, as it continues on chapter 15, we see part of that provision is accomplished through the generosity of God's people caring for each other. Like there is this this interaction that Moses is calling his people to, where he talks about even like to loan without a wicked thought or motive, especially as it relates to the year of Jubilee. Like it says to loan without interest. There's these conversations about uh, what does it look like to care for each other because that's who we're called to be. We're, we're, we're God's people and how we treat one another, how we view one another speaks volumes. And, and so there's something to be said about God promises to provide, but sometimes that provision comes from the family of God, uh, to be modern with the term, but the, the family of Israel. And so you see these moments where Moses is reiterating, like loan without a wicked thought or motive, where it says, hey, okay, I have to loan him money, but I have to forgive his debt because the year of Jubilee is coming up. So what if I do this to accommodate? Like at the end of the day, it says to loan freely. It says to give freely when your brothers or sisters are in need. It's not to be run over like a a, 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 a doormat, but it's it's to be considerate and aware of the fact that God has blessed me, so therefore I should be ready to bless others. Um, talks about chapter 15 there, talks about the, the release of slaves, uh, but also the the beauty of the moment where the, if the slave views and, and enjoys the family, like they can say, hey, I want to stay a part of your family for life. I want to stay indebted to you for life. Well, not indebted. I want to be your slave for life. Um, and, and I think we got to be careful. We've talked about this a lot um, throughout different episodes of podcasts. Slavery then in biblical times is not how we understand slavery in modern times. So we got to be really careful to be like, well, he, he's going to be slave forever. He's going to be tort. Like, no, S- biblical, like biblical slavery, I guess if I can say it, um, there was a, a protocol for how he, tr- how you treat people. There was a, a value placed on people that was not, they're my, they're my slaves that they labor for me until they die. But it's, I'm still called as a, as an owner or a master to care well for them. Um, and so there's these layers of conversation that are really important to understand. And and we've spent a lot of time talking about these in years past, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time now, but there is this idea of like releasing slaves after six years of, of serving, that the slave has the, the freedom to, not only do you release them, but you also provide for them abundantly. You, you re- give them provisions to go and s- establish their own lives. But if that person's like, hey, you know what? I actually really enjoy being part of your family in this in this role. I'm going to stay. And I'd love to stay for the rest of life. And so there's there's a symbol and an act that it requires there too. But well, I think we just have we have an economic mobility today that we that did not exist for most of human history. And so yeah, I that's think true. For for um, and I, we, yeah, you're right. We've talked about this a bunch, so we don't need to keep rehashing it. But like today, if someone was like, "Hey, come live with me, and you get to eat, and you get to live here, and th- and that's it," it would be like, "No, I'm going to go make money and make my own life." Mm-hmm. Um, and ancient times, like if someone's like, hey, you never have to worry about getting food and you're going to have shelter and a place to live. For a lot of people, that's a great deal. Yeah. And so I think that is another thing to keep in mind that um, the idea of staying with a family for the rest of your life was not the way that, or even the idea of staying enslaved for the rest of your life is not the way that we would view that today either. Yes, correct. So so there's a beautiful moment there too, where there's freedom. Um, and, and I actually think it also shows the beauty of Christ and God's family where there's an allowance made for that, but there's also a desire force for some of these slaves. Like, I enjoy being here. I enjoy, you're a good master. Like, you're a good owner. Like, 
being cared for and well provided for. Like those are big things. So um, so we see that in chapter 15, uh, the, the part of the way God provides for his people where there's no poor among them is through God's people himself, um, themselves. Chapter 16 recommunicates uh, the festivals of Passover, the, the festival of weeks, or as we know today, Pentecost is how we refer to it, um, or the festival of shelters, which is the time where they were to go set up temporary shelters to remember the wilderness journey that they were part of. So Moses recommunicates the, the, the festivals and the value and the need to continue them. Uh, then he explains the necessity, the necessity, the necessity of appointing judges and officials to oversee and provide righteous judgments uh, in matters that require resolution. Um, and so again, it's just, it's just Moses reviewing these things uh, to establish God's people, but he also knows that he won't be there to ensure that it's happening. So he's trying to, it's, it's the exhaustive communication that Moses is giving. Chapter 17 uh, reiterates briefly not to worship improperly. It's actually the end of chapter 16 into chapter 17 um, to not worship improperly through Asherah poles uh, or wrongful sacrifice. It also talks about the proper in chapter 17, the judicial procedure for idolatry. In other words, if someone's leading to entice and commit adult idolatry, worship other idols, they're to be purged and killed um, because again, it's without compromise. They, God is setting apart for himself a people and in order to be the covenant people, there has to be holiness. Um, so you have to remove anything that's that's unholy. Um, it talks about cases that are too difficult um, to judge based upon these officials that are set apart. Uh, and specifically, they, they pretty much are in reference to bloodshed, lawsuits, or assault. Um, and they're called to bring them told to bring them to the Levites at the temple. Uh, and then the Levites are then, they do the work and the process with which they determine the proper judgment. Um, and then it says that you're supposed to adhere to whatever they determine. Um, and so there's there's this challenge uh, of the proper protocol for justice and judgment. Um, and then there's this moment uh, where Moses, and this was, I, I've read the Bible a few times through, obviously, um, but this is a moment I actually forgot about in Deuteronomy that I think is interesting because I remember we spent a little bit of time last year talking about this idea of the Israelites calling forth for a king. Uh, but we see Moses in Deuteronomy long before Samuel uh, is on the, on the scene, long before Saul is elected king, which that's coming months from now. Uh, but he says this about giving them direction. Chapter 17, verses 14 to 20. It says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, take possession of it, live in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations around me. You are to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. Appoint a king from your brothers. You are not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not your people. However, he must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way again. He must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver or gold for himself. When he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It is to remain with him, and he is to read from it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction, and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or the left, and he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. And I bring this up because... I remember reflecting on this back in 2022 when we were hashing or rehashing the, the conversation of Samuel where the people cry out, we want to be like all the other nations and God is frustrated. Uh, my, I guess my, my reading into the conversation, God is frustrated because the people want a king. They've rejected him as king and they want a king. And it's, it's interesting because God is justified in Samuel 
to be frustrated because they don't want him to be their king anymore. In other words, they're not submitting to him. They're not living in obedience to the covenant. But Moses in Deuteronomy makes a statement that I think is so interesting based upon 1 Samuel, what we talked about, because Moses understood when God's people are established, there has to be someone who leads. And he makes an allowance here and also tells and commands the people to have a king among you. And it was, I would say it is a prophetic moment because Moses foresaw based upon God's revelation of what's coming. But it's interesting that Moses also sets in motion the stipulations. Appoint appoint one among you whom the Lord, who God chooses. They did that with Saul. However, and this is verse 16 is where it all kind of, this is, this is why the people went astray. This is why the king went astray. He must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt. Now, I don't know if Saul sent people back to Egypt, but he acquired many horses. He acquired silver and gold, and he didn't keep the instruction of these statutes in front of him so that he could be reminded. And this is what we even hit at the very beginning of this podcast. Remember who God is. Remember the covenant he made. Remember it's not by your might or your power or your ability that you are inheriting this land. It's because God gives it to you, not because you're righteous for your stubborn people. Like this is the tension. And Moses is reminding his people, don't fall victim to this. The king should not, like as the king goes, so the people go. And so there's this tension where it's it's a challenge to the Israelites that when this happens, don't forget. Um, and I do wonder, and I, we'll never know this until we get into eternity and if we get like a playback um, of, of human history, but I wonder how many people remember this moment and some of the instructions of Moses when Saul was was appointed king, when David or Solomon, I mean, Solomon, he, he broke, how many wives did he have? Like oh, yeah, how many concubines? Like David even, how many wives did David have? Like I saw there's this incredible tension that we see play out. And I, I just thought that 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 portion of, of Deuteronomy 17 was pretty brilliant and pretty, and pretty insightful based upon what I remember from 1 Samuel. Uh, ch- chapter 18 talks about the Levites uh, were to be provided for by the portion of the sacrifices given by God's people. Moses contrasts prophetic revelation with occult practices, namely sacrificing a child, divination, fortune telling, interpreting omens, sorcery, casting spells, consulting a medium or spirit, inquiring of the dead. Those are occult practices. And they all come up. <laughs> and every single one of them, multiple times over, comes up. Uh, but a, a prophet is going to one who, one who speaks on behalf of the Lord and will not lead you to do those things. Uh, and then remember, I think, again, is the faithfulness to the Lord is validation of the prophet. It's not the the fulfillment of the acts or the the prophetic words. It's will he, is he continue to lead Israel's people to be faithful to the Lord, which if we look throughout the major minor prophets, this is the attempt of most of the prophets. Now, Jer- Jonah was a little bit of an anomaly, um, but he still wanted God's faithfulness, God's people to be faithful to God. And so that's the validation of the prophet. Uh, chapter 19 explains the information about cities of refuge, which we've already talked about. It also talks about not moving your, your neighbor's boundary mark, which is because it's not their land that they were given. It's their land that was delegated or designated to them by God. Um, and then he talks about the verification of two or three witnesses, uh, verifies the truth of a situation, which we see that even references to that in the New Testament. Uh, chapter 20 focuses on rules of engagement for war. Um, and and I think the, the one of the most important incredible things of this chapter is the first thing that is said is this is not about the size of the army. If I can be so, so corny and cliche about it, it's not about the size of the army, but about the size of God. Their first requirement and about rules of engagement is to remember who God is and what God did. 
Remember how powerful he is. Remember how mighty he is in comparison to the people. Uh, Because remember, the Israelite spies, 10 of them said they're too big, we're like grasshoppers. Two of them said, let's go take over. Actually, one of them said, let's go take over land. And Joshua confirmed and affirmed that stance. So they both were attributed to that. Uh, but they were, but God, Moses tells God's people, when you would go out in this land, you are going to face armies that are bigger than you, that are seemingly more powerful than you, but they're not more powerful than God. So remember who God is and remember God does. It's this rallying cry that I think is really important. Um, they Then there's an allowance made uh, for men to step away from battle uh, in several instances, which is really interesting to me. Um, it, it, it's true because it reveals the sensitivity uh, to the needs and feelings of, of people, of, of the human man that's in God's army, um, which is counter of what we think today. Like when we're called to war, if the, if the draft were ever to come back and you were called to war, you have to go to war. There's not an allowance created for you if you got married. I mean, there's a, there's a stipulation, and I don't remember if it's here, if it's later, but but if you just get married to someone, you need to spend a year with them for to make your wife happy. Uh, but there's allowances created. If you're cowardly, get get out of the army. Don't go to battle. And and Moses is making a, an allowance for individuals for reasons not to go to battle because it's about same mind, one accord, doing what God's called them to do. Um, then. After that, there's a call to offer peace before fighting, uh, which I think is really good, uh, just as rules of engagement for war. And then there's like practical things that when they're actually in war, if it gets drawn out, like don't cut down the trees because you can get food from those trees, uh, especially if the battle goes a long way. Like you will always have food if you don't cut down trees. So there's some like logistical, practical things uh, in the rules of engagement for war. Uh, chapter 21, we see Moses uh, providing direction about unsolved murders uh, and providing the sacrifices for purity for God's people. Uh, he explains the treat the treatment of captured women. Um, and this was interesting too. I actually wrestled with this passage a bit, uh, just to be totally honest, uh, because the picture is when you read it, it just talks about like, hey, if 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 you conquer a, a group of people and you see a woman that you think is is beautiful and you want to marry them, uh, here's the process for them. They got to shave their head. They got to grieve the loss of their people. They got to change the clothes. They could do all these things. And then after a certain period of time, they complete that. You can marry them. You can have sex with them as husband and wife would do. Uh, but then if you're not satisfied with them, get rid of them. You're able to get rid of them and let them go on their way. And I really rest because I was like, it's such a, 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 I don't even know. Like a, a, It's very strange. It's such a wrongful way of like viewing women. But as I was reading more into it, it, it kind of brought a little bit of clarity. And I, again, the, what do I say? The law here um, doesn't sanction the action. I want to be clear about that. And that's something I have to remember, even as I was reading it. Just because there's an allowance made for this does not sanction, you You should go and do this. This is a good thing to go do. No, the law was established to provide protection for women. And, and when this happens, because God's people are not perfect, when this happens, here's the right way for it to play out. There was provision for protection and, and life and vitality for the women who were captured from war uh, to be able to survive and live accordingly. Um, and so I thought that was a really interesting thing to remember um, is that just because the law is, is, is putting something out there, to, to, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you should go and do it. It says, if this happens, here's the process, here's the protocol, but you treat women fairly. And I thought, I mean, that's culturally, that's, that's, that's abnormal. Culturally, that's a really good thing. And the thing that reflects the value that God places on humanity. All of that to say, I just thought it was a really interesting, poignant thought. Uh, 
There's also direction about firstborn rights of inheritance, uh, talking about matter of favoritism. Don't favor one son over another. You got to give the firstborn son, no matter who wife, whichever wife he comes from, whether you like them or not. Um, this brings back to my Leah and Rachel, that whole situation uh, where, uh, is it Isaac? Forgive me. I don't know. Isaac was Leah and Rachel's husband. Is that correct? Jacob. I get them all mixed up, bro. Oh, yeah. um, so Jacob, but Jacob loved Rachel, not Leah. Uh, and so this is the tension of where Moses is saying, hey, don't favor one over the other, but the firstborn son gets the firstborn rights. Um, so he t- gives direction there um, and then follows up with, if you have a rebellious son, you got to remove him again, because it's that setting apart. And so it talks about stoning him and killing him. Um, and, and the reason part of this is because disobedience to a parent who's been given authority as a parent by God also shows disobedience to God's authority. And, and so you have to remove uh, the rebellion among them. Then there's this little piece in chapter 21 about the cross. It says this in chapter 21, verse 22 to 23. If anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed and you hang his body on a tree, you are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Um, And this is just, it, it foreshadows a bit. Uh, the Messiah having lived under God's curse because of sin, um, but he is cursed. And then the the challenge of not to leave him there overnight, that's part of the reason why Joseph of Arimathea runs to, not runs to, but goes to Pius and says, hey, let me take his body, put him in a tomb, things like that. Uh, but it's just, it's a little piece about information about the cross that we see. So when we read in the New Testament and the, uh, the quote to Old Testament that talks about him who was cursed hanging on a tree, we see this connection here in Deuteronomy 21. 22 through 25, Oh, just a few more things to wrap up this week's reading. Uh, 22 talks about caring for your brother's property. Um, he talks about uh, natural distinctions that are made um, and that we should hold strongly to, that a male should dress like a male, a female should dress like a female. Uh, we see the idea of mixing two things um, creates problems with the birds with their mother. Uh, you can take the chicks or the eggs, but leave the mom. You preserve life over death. Um, mixing two different kinds of seed creates problems. If you yoke an ox and a donkey together, it's problematic because their natures and habits would conflict. Um, And so Moses is just creating natural distinctions that we should honor and uphold and be mindful of uh, because of the conflict that exists if we don't. Um, He talks about uh, there's also punishment for lying and defying the purity of life in sex and marriage. Uh, There's a section that talks about uh, sexual misconduct and what does that look like. Chapter 23 uh, talks about who's permitted to enter the Lord's assembly, specifically naming public worship. This is not being a part of God's people, but it's about the public worship. Um, I put in here an unwhole man, uh, and I jokingly texted Evan this morning and said, thanks for giving me chapter 23, uh, which which talks about uh, a man who's not whole. And so if you're listening with kids, I'm going to leave it at that. But when you read it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, They're not permitted to to enter into public worship with God's people. Uh, There's an illegitimate birth that's not permitted. Uh, And this is not necessarily from wedlock, but probably more of a forbidden type relationship, Um, like uh, like incest or uh, things along those lines, or or, or someone who's outside the family God that's like a prostitute. Anyways. So not permitted to be in, in the public worship. Uh, he also says that an Ammonite and Moabite uh, people are not permitted. And this is because it reflects back to, if you remember the wilderness journey, uh, they did not let God's people travel through their territories. They actually rejected God's people in the wilderness. Um, and so he, he removes them from worship uh, and access to worship. 
They also maintain purity uh, while encamped as a part of the other chapter 23 here. And in essence, just saying, don't do anything that would create offense that would create a reason to be separated away from God's people. How you handle slaves, how you deal with cult prostitution, loans, vows, and neighbors' crops are all covered here. Uh, ways not to be uh, to, to, to take offense or do anything offensive. Chapter 24 talks about marriage and divorce. Uh, there is a line uh, of once a man gets married to, to be present for a year and go out to battle. That's that's one of the things I was referring to earlier. Uh, and I just say, you know, that, that'd be awesome if I'm, I don't get to work for a year because I don't have to go to work for a year because I'm going to spend time with my wife. And to be honest with you, I don't know how realistic that would be today. But <laughs> uh, when it comes to going to battle, and it makes sense because there's risk of life going to battle. And so if you just get married... Uh, you've got to establish your family. You've got to establish a family line and and care for your wife and provide for your wife in that capacity so you get a year off from war. Um, he, he talks about considerations regarding life uh, should be at the forefront when making loans or securing lateral. In other words, don't cut off their ability if you're securing collateral for a loan that you're giving. If there's a, an agreement made between two parties, don't come and take like their threshing millstone because that's the way that they provide for food for their family. Um, so be considerate about how you how you secure collateral for loans. Uh, and then finally, we see in chapter 25, as we wrap up this week's reading, um, just the de- it details the needs for fairness and mercy, uh, the care for the family line, having honest weights and measures. Um, it's just, again, be proper in how you treat one another. That's that's a re- resounding theme throughout these, these chapters. Um, and then finally, Moses takes a shift uh, to remember the Amalekites. If you remember the Amalekites, this is what he says in chapter 25, verse 17 to 19, as we wrap up the reading this week. It says, remember what the Amalekites did to you on the journey after you left Egypt. They met you along the way and attacked all your stragglers from behind when you were ch- tired and weary. They did not fear God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land the Lord your God is giving to you to possess as an inheritance, blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. Do not forget. And that's where it ends. And so it's it's recalling to mind when the Amalekites would pick off the stragglers and they just kind of come from behind and uh, they just didn't honor God's people. They didn't fear God that, hey, this is God's people who are setting apart. Uh, and so Moses like, hey, don't forget. Repay them what they owe, what they what they what they deserve, um, and it says. And then it, I just love the three words at the end: "Do not forget." Uh, and then that's that's kind of where the reading is going to end this week um, as we hit the, the book, the a bulk of the book of Deuteronomy this week. So, well, and before we wrap up today, we do want to take a second to talk about what did we learn today. So for me, the big thing that stood out in the the first chunk of Deuteronomy there is the importance of teaching the next generation, um, and I think. It's a theme that we see all throughout the Bible, but I think it's something that we oftentimes neglect. And even in church, you kind of see it where I think there's, we, we deal with this as pastors all the time, where there's people in the church where they kind of view the job of spiritual formation of children to be like, oh, that's the children's pastor's job, or that's the youth pastor's job. Um, and then all of a sudden, like you kind of, you go through life kind of assigning like, yeah, other people are going to take care of that. And then all of a sudden when your kids get 18 and go off to college, you're like, what, what happened? Why did, why, why are they struggling with faith and all these different things? And I think it's, it's just a, such a poignant reminder. Um, and maybe it's at the top of mind because we're getting me, me and my wife, are getting ready to have our, our first. Is, Wait, what? I know. Just kidding. Uh, but just making sure that we are intentionally teaching our children um, and, and other th- supplemental things are great, but making sure that we as parents take ownership over teaching our children yeah. and reminding them of the faithfulness of God. Yeah, that's really good. Um, 
I'll have to take notes of that when you become a parent so I know how to do it better with mine. So uh, I'm only kind of kidding. There's moments where I, man, it's hard. Anyways, uh, as I was kind of reading through it, and, and I'll be honest with you, man, there was so much. I told Evan before we started recording, there's so much in these chapters. Um, and it just felt overwhelming to even consider how do we talk about every single bit of it. Um, and that's not the goal of the podcast for the most part. Uh, we do want to give you an overview, but as I was reading through it all and, and I came to this portion of our notes where it's like, well, what's my application? What, what did I learn this week? Um, I think it was really, what really stood out to me the most was just the idea, uh, as Moses had been saying the whole time, like his concern is how God's people treat, engage and care for each other. And the, the challenge to God's people to not be stingy, to be generous, to be caring. It's even, even through some of the later chapters that we'll read, it's the idea of like, Hey, if you see your, your, your brother's ox wandering, don't just let it be there, go get it and bring it back. If they're close, if they're far away, then bring it to your house and wait for your brother to come looking for. And it's not like the physical brother. Like, it's not like my little brother, Andrew, that I would do this for, but it's, it's your brother as God's people. Uh, and, and even the provision for like the poor among you, as I, I reiterate earlier, like God, God, God cares deeply about how we care for each other. Um, and how we care for each other is a deep reflection of God's care for us. And so I, I don't know if I've ever picked up on that theme before. I don't know if I've ever seen it throughout, especially Deuteronomy, uh, but just the challenge that Moses is giving to the Israelites to make sure that they're caring well, they're treating well, they're they're engaging with each other well. And, and I believe the same should be true of us today. I mean, we see um, John 13, where Jesus says point blank that they'll know you're Christians by your love for one another. Um, and I think the one another is really important because sometimes we stop short and say your love, uh, they'll know you're Christians by the way you love. Um, but it's the way you love one another. So first, it's specifically talking about God's family, God's people. How you love one another will really show and reveal the depth of of your identity as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. But then Jesus even goes further and says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the questions posed to him in that chapter, and I think it's like Mark chapter 12, there's, a, there's one of the accounts in the gospels that talk about, well, who's my neighbor, Lord? And Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan um, and the one that should have been responsive, the two that should have been responsive were not. And the one that was not of the same people that were actually viewed as an outcast, that there were racist, that in essence, there was racial tensions between the the Samaritans and the Jews. Jesus highlights the fact that, hey, this Samaritan loved well for the Jew. And so there's, there's a little bit of modern day overlap where we can understand this concern that God has for his people in the Old Testament carries over into the New Testament, into the New Covenant, for God's people today to treat and care for each other well, to not be close-hearted or hard-hearted and close-minded. That's what I want to say, not close-hearted. Um, but I, I just thought it was really interesting to see that theme play out, that how that God that Moses was deeply concerned with how his people treated each other. Uh, and this coming from a guy who killed an Egyptian to protect his people, and his people rejected him at first or had a hard time trusting him at first. Um, but he came to the point at the end of his life as he's telling his people, get ready to go forward. He understood the value of unity, the value of love and care for each other. Um, and I just think it's really important and challenging today to understand that we need to carry the same mentality towards humanity, towards our brothers and sisters, towards our neighbors who we may not see eye to eye with. But are we willing to engage, to care for and to treat each other well? Um, and and I, I think if you look at the last 10 years, I don't know if we're doing as good of a job as we should. 
and myself included. And so I just thought that was a really interesting theme through the book of Deuteronomy that I hadn't really picked up on before. No, yeah, great point. Uh, well, that actually wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. We didn't get a question this week. So, you know, hey, if you had a question, you missed it. Send it in. It's over. So now- No now, more, we're done with questions. Now we won't answer it. We're, <laughs> Ever we're, again. We're taking our question answering <laughs> section and we're going home. Uh, no, if you have a question, don't forget to send it into yeah, info we love to answer. at grove.church. We love doing that. Uh, but yeah, that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources at grove.church under the media tab. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. And hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week.